The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get uniquely yours ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details. March 20th, one day early edition of the PFF forecast. We've got a great... I just couldn't wait to wear this cutoff shirt couldn't here. Even let me get through the agenda. Yeah, we've got Eric in a cutoff. We've got Fred Gadelli. We've got a mean comment shockingly we've got blake bortles and uh we're going to take a look at the khalil Mack trade one last time let's rock 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 this is a beautiful day it's a beautiful day because you look beautiful can you move the laptop a little bit no it's a little distracting. If you are listening to this podcast and not watching this podcast, stop whatever you're doing, unless it's driving a car, and go to the YouTube page and uh, the YouTube link. Click on it. Watch this because, Eric, you lost a bet, and you're a man. I am. So you are uh, You're paying up. And the, the, I didn't – okay, so here's the first thing. I didn't know White Snake was your favorite band. Uh, yeah, so on the drive-in, I drive as as Toby McAuliffe, our friend uh, from Amazon, good friend of the pod, good friend of the pod, found out on Twitter last week. I ride into work with Neil Hornsby, my boss, um, and he wanted to know. We normally just talk, but one he wanted to know one day if I wanted to listen to some music, and and he, you know, I, I sort of grew up. I didn't really like like any band specifically, so he asked me what I what my favorite band was, and I just made one up, and I said White Snake. Uh, and so that has stuck like with me the whole time. That's a well-orchestrated story to get away from. What's up, Rick? Rick Drummond, head of PFF Product. We're, we're doing a pod right now. Come on in. Oh, hi. Future PFF star employee Noah Drummond in the house. What's up, buddy? Nice. Thank you. <laughs> so lost a bet. <laughs> no, there's no better time to show... The children, the future leaders of America, what the PFF forecast is than right now. Um, that was Rick Drummond, who uh, is both of our bosses mm-hmm. and uh, is a PFF legend. And his son is in is in the building to see you. Oh, in a in a white snake cutoff. Yep, <laughs> for sure. So, yeah. So I I did not push press or not push press. I did push press two twenty five. I did not military press two twenty five, yep. which were the stipulations of the bet. I have to wear a white snake cutoff in honor of Ezekiel Elliott, for whom I've written articles describing how he is. Your boy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I would say you look a lot like Zeke right now. Very similar to Zeke probably five weeks before the NFL season begins. Okay. Overweight Zeke. All right. Yeah, fat seek before he gets suspended and goes to Cabo and loses like 40 pounds and then comes back shredded. But you look good, man. Have you been tanning? Oh no! Can you move the laptop? I feel like we need. There we go. Show it off. I'm even wearing. Drink it in. It goes down smooth. I'm even wearing a long sleeve. Just you're, to, you're co-laboring with me, as they would say. Yeah, in the to prayer let world. you have all the shine. Mm-hmm. Pun intended. Okay. Um, so as I mentioned later on in the podcast, we have Fred Gadelli. He was super generous with his time. It's almost a. Uh, uh, like basically a thirty-minute interview, maybe I mean, thirty-five. Just, just an, and then he he drops so he just drops such a brilliant nugget during the middle. Yeah, it's worth. It's so great. So you want to yeah, listen to ahead. it? He talks about the Elway Marino draft. He mm-hmm. he talks about who's going to play on opening night. Um, so you'll want to make sure you check it out. We are going to do a quick run through of a couple of of orders of business that we need to. The first is that the Los Angeles Rams have a new quarterback. Who knew? that uh, Jared Goff's days were so numbered. They bring in Zach Robinson, and immediately things start to change. Well, it's like our, our buddy Zach, I, he probably played baseball, given that he has a good arm and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's like sort of when you, you're swinging in the batter's box and you put a donut on the bat to make it mm. way more. That's like Zach. So Zach coaches you know, Jared all day, and he's like, oh, man, I need to warm up a little bit better. So he, he puts the donut on to coach Blake. Wow. 
you're coming in strong. Portal Combat. Yep, I like that. One million uh, dollar contract for one year. So clearly not actually someone they see um, taking over for Jared Goff at one. So the funny thing about Blake Bortles is obviously not a guy you ever want starting for you. But if you are in a pinch and you need a guy to come in as a backup, I actually think he's a pretty darn solid backup. I see Nick Foles' potential with Blake Bortles. I really do. Okay. I because mean, I, I think the coaching that he has had in Jacksonville, very subpar. I don't think their offense was their ever Their receivers very good. were absolutely they atrocious. They were trash. He had to, speaking of donuts on bats, he had Leonard Fournette in the backfield. Um, and so now he gets Zach Robinson, Sean How McVay. would Leonard Fournette look like in a crop top? Ooh, that one would not fit him. Yeah, Fat Snake would be the one he would wear. Um, so that's, uh, that's Blake Bortles. That's the only uh, signing we're going to talk about here because we don't need to talk about Tevin Coleman going to uh, the Niners. Uh, the Odell Beckham Jr. trade is still getting a lot of um, mm-hmm. press because Dave Gettleman had an interview. Now, uh, the Giants are a client, so we're not going to talk about Dave Gettleman so much. As, but you found probably the best analogy to what the Giants did. Yeah, so if you're, you know, grew up at, you know, basically the same time that we grew up, Family Guy was a was a staple. Mm-hmm. And of course there was the there was the the shtick where they were making fun of basically uh, a timeshare salesman and Peter gets offered the opportunity that if he meets with a timeshare salesman he gets a boat or the mystery box. Just go YouTube it. Yeah, it's it great. Is, so so YouTube worth the mystery box Family Guy, it's exactly you know, it's exactly how I think Dave Gettleman sort of went about the process of acquiring the 17th overall pick. Look, it could be anything. It could even be a Odell. It could. There's like a 2% chance. So there's that. Um, yeah, so that, that's all we have to say about the trade. We talk actually to Fred a little bit about it because he's, he's a Giants fan. And he has spent a lot of time with Odell. So some interesting things that he talks about there. Next up, we've got some theft. Uh, it's... Really sad to see this happen, but uh, the Sloan Analytics Analytics Conference went out and uh, stole what we have been saying for like six months, which is that John Gruden is a wizard, and he fleeced the Chicago Bears and got two first-round draft picks. They have now called this the trade of the year. Yeah, the acquisition of the year. Acquisition of the year. We've now got Steve Palazzolo in here. Um, because he wants to see it. We brought kids in here to see this. Now we have Steve in here to see this. What do you think? It's like a circus in here. It's always a circus in here. I just destroyed my train of thought. But anyways, we said this trade was great. It is great. What we want to focus on is not that some place, some conference stole our idea or uh, our fact, rather, that Josh Hermsmeyer, good friend of the podcast, at Frisco Josh, he has a question. George and Eric, I'd be curious what war... Wins above replacement says about the Mac trade: if a QB is taken with one of the firsts, and if a QB is not selected. Yeah, so that's a that's a really good question because you know Josh approached us for our war numbers for his five thirty eight article. Didn't steal them. No, he appro- He asked and, and and gave us retribution. Asking you shall receive. All right, he gave us uh, attribution, and um, so it was a great question because I had you know I told told him that we have a different model for whether we think a quarterback's taken or not because quarterbacks have higher means and variances in terms mm-hmm. of career war or not even career war, just first four years war with the team that they have. Um, interestingly, though, these picks. So right now, Chicago's gave up their twenty fourth overall pick. The difference between a quarterback and a non-quarterback at 24 is not substantial. It's right. not as substantial as at three. Um, so in this particular case, you're talking about about a win and two-thirds if a quarterback's taken at 24 uh, in addition to the rest of the package, right? So Chicago got back a, a second-rounder and a sixth-rounder. Uh, Oakland got two firsts, a third, and a, and a sixth-rounder or something like that. And so in this case, it's probably anywhere between one and a half war if you don't take a quarterback there over the life of the the contracts on average to one and two-thirds war on the life of the contract, which, again, that's a pretty big haul uh, because a lot of guys don't end up doing anything during the course of their career. Uh, Max so far through one year in Chicago is at about .75 to .8 war. So you're looking at like— Didn't didn't play a whole season. Didn't play the whole season. Take that into account. But also played— His peak, though— to your point, still in the mid ones. So yeah. So so what we're looking at is here. We're looking at Mac needing another year like he had, 
and we're looking at again, uh, you know, and then years that are kind of similar to that for this to make sense, even war for war. But then, of course, the contract levels of the of the players that the Bears are giving up versus Mac, who they had to pay through the through the ear for, I think puts this firmly in Oakland's in Oakland's direction. Even though the Bears do get a very valuable player in Khalil Mack. By the way, I want to talk about Chicago for a second. Because uh, I think this was Chris Sims' podcast, which is super ironically called Unbuttoned. Oh, because the first button. Right. It's funny that way. Anyways, they are doing a bracket because everyone is doing a bracket. And they are doing it with NFL teams. And they had the Bears as the number one seed in the NFC. Quote, uh, or I'm paraphrasing here, because they have no weaknesses. So I'll let that one uh, lay. We'll watch that one play out this year. That'll be great. Um, Chicago. Bears. Actually, there's a there's a good question that we got from the dark web. Probably the only one we can go through here, which is, I'm I'm curious as to why because we talked last week about the Seahawks regression, and I think this pairs well with the Bears discussion. I'm curious why you guys think the Seahawks will regress. I can only see them being better next year. And again, a lot of these things parallel with each other. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson is a great quarterback, so he's always going to buoy Seattle, but. Things like Seattle played the 28th toughest schedule in the NFL last year, win, win six, uh, 10 and 6. Two teams in their division faltered, right? Much like the NFC North where the Packers faltered and the Vikings weren't as good as people expected. Right. Detroit was. So like a lot of similar things here. When, when it comes to Seattle, to answer this question specifically, Seattle was a middle of the pack at best defense EPA-wise, 20th against the pass. They lose Earl Thomas. And right. again, much like with the Bears as well, they're – when you build a team around defense, it's not an optimal decision. In, 20, in 2018, the Bears were rewarded for that. In 2018, Seattle was rewarded for running the ball the most on second down of any team in the NFL. Right. When you get rewarded for making suboptimal decisions, you continue to make them, and the, the chicken comes home to roost, as they say. So that's, again, we're looking at regression candidates here, uh, Seattle being one, Chicago being, I think, the biggest one coming in. Next It'll year. be interesting because Russell Wilson is a guy that is he's going to – we know he's going to be good, mm-hmm. right? He was extraordinary on third downs, and they are attributing a lot of that to them running on first and second. Now, there isn't a whole ton. Maybe they've done some research that we haven't. Yeah. There isn't a ton of evidence. I know actually uh, Josh, who we mentioned, wrote an article looking at progressions, right, like down-to-down decision-making. Yeah. There, there's just really no uh, evidence that doing, you know, that running on first and second helps your quarterback on third. So we would expect Russell Wilson to regress on third down where he was just putting the entire city of Seattle on his shoulders. Yeah. Now it looks like from the videos that I've seen of him working out, he's gained a little bit of weight, so maybe he can handle putting that weight on his shoulders. You never know, but um, you always want to look first and foremost is this quarterback a quarterback that played as well as the actual results yep. uh, show? In Chicago's case, no. Or with Seattle, is there something else that's actually going to hold that quarterback yep. back even though he's going to be And I think down and distance will come back. Regardless of who the quarterback is, you're not going to get a... You're not always going to get a season in the 90th, you know, 80th, 90th percentile of brilliance on third down like you got with Russell Wilson and hence... Uh, a little bit of regression there. That's true. Um, okay, before we quickly get to the Giants, uh, I'm continuing to get a ton of, of yeah, flack. People still hate here. me. They think that um, they don't get my sarcasm, first off. Nope. I'm, I'm a pretty sar- sarcastic guy. And I'm also generally trying to be positive. But I think it's just the way they call it resting. Uh, we won't R- say that RBF. word here. RBF. Uh, and... I think I'm being attacked for that. So it's okay. I'm strong enough to handle it. I actually really enjoy the the comments. I think they're absolutely hilarious. And you found one on the um, – was it on iTunes? I, iTunes. Uh, every once in a while I'll look at the reviews. Uh, this one is to us specifically. Lacks football IQ is the header. The whole running game doesn't matter nonsense is so naive. He spells naive wrong. It's nieve and makes the show unwatchable at times. <laughs> <laughs> but but to to you to you specifically it's pretty funny because I was on a podcast last week called the Surviving the Season podcast about Check the it Browns out. and they asked me specifically about what it was like to work with you because you get, and I don't notice this right so when somebody asked me and I, I had to deconstruct the way as like I do think it and of course I'm sitting here in a crop top here you look great I think it I, I legitimately think it's because like people are just jealous of your muscles George oh. 
that's the kindest thing you said to me. I'm currently jealous of your muscles. But I mean, the bicep is looking strong, to be perfectly honest. I you work out with you. You so. could have lost this bet six months ago, and we'd be in a world of pain right here. We'd, be, we'd have to black stuff out, right? You need to fuzzy things up. But currently, this is HD quality. Your shirt may or may not regress next, next week. We'll see well, if that happens. It, we're, I'm just nieve to, to think that that would be the case. Oh, man. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I, I really enjoy it. If we didn't have people hating on us. Well, good, because Connor Thurness on, on the YouTube discussion Ooh, says, Sick up? of this dude's resting B-I-T-C-H yep. face. Bring it on. Haters are my biggest fans. Love you all. Okay, the Giants. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Giants with Fred. We're going to run down uh, through a couple of things about their prior season and what, I don't know, we think they should do this season. 5-11, and 11, the under, it hit, and it hit hard. <laughs> um, they, they took Saquon, who actually played really well, and it still didn't matter, as we said on this podcast. Um, well, so here's the thing, because I don't think I've ever been more confident about a wager than when I bet the over-under Giants, not only because we got it at like 140, true, but also because of the narratives that were clearly driving the price. In fairness, I was actually nervous because of how confident you yeah. were. So, so here's an interesting thing, because our picks this year did not do as well as 2017, but if you subset them by teams that we had strong opinions about... so. We, we, when we bet the Giants this year, we bet them, we backed them against Houston. We got a W. Over against Atlanta was a loss. But then we faded them versus Washington, backed them versus San Francisco, and faded them against Tennessee. We finished 4-1 and one on them. There were other teams where we had a difficult time figuring them out, Minnesota yep. being one of them. Chicago is a classic example where we undervalued them the whole year. Is there some merit to having sort of preseason confidence priors and just saying, look, like, I know. I think I know that I know that I know something about the Giants, and I have no freaking clue about Minnesota Vikings or the Chicago Bears mm-hmm. because, like, we back like we faded Chicago like ten times this year, and probably went something like four and six or three and seven. Minnesota was the same, and then the one time we backed Minnesota against Chicago, it was, Kirk Cousins took the next step, and we lost that bet. Right. So it's like the teams that have a massive change in one in a position that matters. I I do agree. I think that should make you less confident. That being said, though, our process with the Bears, I think, was still sound. And I think next year we will um, benefit from that. But what was unique about the Giants was that the main driver of optimism for them was a change in a position we knew would not matter. Right. So I I do think you're onto something here. Their most valuable player last season no longer plays for them. Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, That trade. uh, Look, you're not going to judge the trade four years later. You're going to judge it right now based on the process. It was not the soundest of trades. Let me ask you this this question. If you have to pick one choice that they've made, either the Odell Beckham trade or taking Sam Darnold uh, versus Saquon Barkley. Which one would you go back and redo? Oh, the Darnold one, 100%. I mean, because Beckham is like, I always go back to other guys like Moss, right? Or, mm-hmm. or the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, you know, when you trade a, a, a star wide receiver, it sucks. The Vikings were bad and boring for like three years after they traded Moss. Bad and boring. But that eventually, but eventually they, they figured it out. Having Darnold here, having Darnold would have changed the entire calculus of everything. Um, we also see, but this, but the thing is, and I, and again, we talk about Landon Collins. We talk about, um, you know, we talk about drafting Saquon at two. We talk about trading Olivier Vernon for a guard. None of those things in a vacuum. Like I think the Odell Beckham trade in a vacuum is questionable. But if a bunch of other decisions are made that are that are sound, we sort of are, are like, okay, we'll take. But it's it's the collection, right? You look at their most valuable players last year: Odell gone, Saquon's a running back. They got everything out of Saquon, and we know running backs WAR correlates at a rate of about point three, which is lowest of any position. So chances of him being this player again lower. Olivier Vernon traded, uh, snacks gone. Evan Ingram. Michael Thomas, Landon Collins, like all those guys, yeah. again, um, it, you know, it's just it, it, it's going to be an interesting one there um, for them, you know, moving forward here. Their least valuable players are, you know, one of the th- the third name there is Alec Ogletree, right? A guy they traded a draft pick for by that. while he was on his second, not a rookie deal, a second mm-hmm. expensive contract for a linebacker. 
Uh, you know, Benny Fowler, a guy they just re-signed, their fourth least valuable player last year. So again, it's just it's the collection of decisions that I think are questionable, not any one. All right, negative Nancy here. Negative Ned, maybe we should call you because of your crop top. I'm going to bring some positivity here for the six Giants fans that are still listening, like our producer, Matt Stopsky. Um, here, here's the positive side of things. I think Pat Shermer showed some resiliency, at the very least, last season. He showed a willingness. Oh, he's a great coach. He showed a willingness to do things that most people wouldn't even consider and would get flogged for in the streets uh, of their city, namely going for two when you are down by eight. Right, mm-hmm. giving you the opportunity, uh, giving you a more of an opportunity to win the game, um, and that speaks to a, a culture that maybe is not portrayed by Gettleman, but that is actually present, which is them wanting to use numbers in an intelligent way. Right, yep. Gettleman makes the personnel decisions; he is not the person there that is in charge of in-game decision deploying the, the right. assets. That's a totally different person um, who we happen to, to know and have great confidence in is looking to do some great things and he and Shermer are on the same page. So that's a reason for optimism. Yeah, yeah. Their coaching metrics are good, both from a decision-making perspective yep. and as well as the value that they add. Shermer and Betcher, both very good last season. The other side of things is that they've got this opportunity in the draft and we do not think that the projection system that we built, the grades, the analyzation of the Analyzation. The analyzing of the quarterback charting metrics that we have now going back Your to George golf and Bush Wentz, word was just that was pretty great. Um, <laughs> look, I woke up at four this morning. Had to take a long flight. People understand how tough my life is. I'm not going to get any hate for that whatsoever. Yeah, you're not going to get any no any no email for that. At this point, I'm just trying. Just want just bathe uh, all over. Same. <laughs> I'm going to need to bathe after this. Um, the the unfortunate thing is that. They still need a quarterback, and they're not in a place to pick Kyler Murray. They'd have to trade up. From everything we've heard, there's no chance they're going to draft him anyways because he, he doesn't pass their like age-old you know, height chart. Hilarious, by the way. Um, so they may end up trading up for Dwayne Haskins or taking him at where they are. And, man, if you go back and you say, well, Sam Darnold versus Dwayne Haskins in a vacuum looking at projecting them out of college it is the difference between a guy in the top four or five and a guy in the bottom uh you know seven to ten in terms of the last 20 quarterbacks well and they almost assuredly aren't using six to trade for rosen it's probably gonna be that 17 given what if rosen had in their yep. first year and like while while i like that trade i always go back to the mike tice test which is like when the vikings traded moss for pick seven mm-hmm. and then they're like are you going to trade up and take braylon edwards at three is like why would i trade my first round pick plus Randy Moss for Braylon Edwards. He sort of like he shows why these trades are often silly. Trading 17 to Josh Rosen would basically say I'm going to trade Odell Beckham Jr. for a third round pick and Josh Rosen. It sounds silly on its face once you attach names to these things. Um, But given where we are now, we don't we can't go back and untrade Odell. I do think if we look at their options, which is to trade up for Murray, take Haskins, trade 17 for Rosen, trade back and then take Drew Locke or somebody like that or play Eli again and tank for Tua, Herbert, and others, I think that Rosen, trading the 17th overall pick for Rosen is their best option. It'd be amazing if they've been pulling the wool over our eyes this whole time and they traded Odell to get a pick to trade up for Murray. But that's not going to happen. Yeah. And and I think even if you think about that, that there's a better chance that you wear this shirt for the next week straight. Is Odell plus the sixth overall pick equal to Kyler plus Bill Peppers in a third like that's tough you know even though we think that I mean I would do that okay I think Murray offers that kind of upside but Odell is a and the sixth overall pick I mean the, those two assets together is, Here's, is tough once okay. you attach a name to the so 17. let me say that let me say this um in this draft so knowing that I had to take someone at six because I need a quarterback. So that sixth pick is going to be a quarterback. But I don't like any of the quarterbacks at six here, right? So if you're saying, okay, in last year's draft, yeah, sure. Like, that's a different story because then I actually have a serviceable quarterback. Here, I'm either rolling out Dwayne Haskins or Eli Manning, who uh, – Dwayne Haskins to me is Josh Rosen. Or I, Sam Bradford. I, t- I don't – Kurt so, Cousins. So I, I think in this particular draft, the way it is – now, look, there's always next year. We've never heard this before. There's always next year for the quarterback. 
Maybe they just take another running back here. Josh Jacobs can get him. Although apparently he's unathletic, so just uh, he falls from this from looks the like fifth he, round. He looks sixth. more like you in a tank than Zeke Elliott. He falls from the fifth round to the sixth round in my projections. <laughs> oh man, they're going to end up with uh, Drew Locke or Daniel Jones. That's just their. In which case, you are taking the under at four and a half. That is where it is, and yes, I would be taking the under at four and a half. That is amazing. It is amazing that a team that hit on their number two pick last year. Look, are you going to really give the guy crap for drafting a pro, all pro player? The rookie of the year. The, the rookie offensive of the year. rookie of the year. It's all been legitimized. Okay. Um, that is it for the wonderment that is you in this cutoff. Um, make sure we save this uh, to the PFF archives. We'll get a big picture of it. Maybe it'll be our background next time. Coming up is Fred Gadelli. Uh, Chris Collinsworth's boss. All right, we are very happy to welcome on Hall of Fame Giants fan. I think that's probably the best way to lead this off. Uh, producer of the Collinsworth slide and the X Games, which I found out doing some research. Uh, the first man to use the yellow first down marker, and last but not least, the uh, boss of our boss, Chris Collinsworth, producer of Sunday Night Football, Fred Gadelli. Welcome on, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate that intro. Well, see, I've heard you on a couple of different podcasts before and the intro is always really they they go all out and so i wanted to, i wanted to be a little bit different here um all right we're going to start off with some quick hitters some questions that hopefully will uh melt the ice a little bit all right so here we go if you could pitch a show to netflix what would it be you know i've been thinking about that question for a while uh that's a hard one. I mean, I can't I can't think of like what is it? maybe a news show that really just deals with the news without any type of editorializing or opinion. Uh, we are just getting straight facts. It probably wouldn't get any ratings. And uh, but I mean, when you think about what's lacking right now, and there's not a ton lacking. You can pretty much watch anything you want. I might revert back to that or like the Sports Center of the 1980s. One of those two. I like that second one a lot. Because yeah, that, be like, that's kind of like what we grew up with, and it's sort of lacking now. I'm not a child Correct. of the 80s. Speak for yourself. <laughs> or the 90s. <laughs> that's right. All right. Have, have, you, have you pitched the idea of the draftler to, uh, to Fred? <sighs> I, I don't know if I'm ready. Uh, we have had an idea, Fred, that is basically the bachelor, but with all of the top prospects in the NFL draft, and whoever holds the number one pick, that coach is sort of like the bachelor. So it would be Cliff Kingsbury and a bunch of, you know, <laughs> prospects, and, and you just give roses out, and eventually there's just one left. Hard, hard knocks in April. Does he have to kiss him? Or? <laughs> well, look, I'm not the one. That, that would be your job as the producer of the show. Okay. Um, okay. All right, next up. You can eat one meal for the rest of your life. What is it? Pasta. Shocker. What's the, what's the one meal you, would, you wouldn't eat if your life depended on it? Well, uh, there isn't much that I won't eat. Um, you ever hmm. been to Cincinnati? We're, we're finding stark differences between you and George right now. Uh, not, there's really not. I mean, you know what? I'm not a huge fan of Indian food. I, I wouldn't say never. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's not much. I pretty much like everything. So, so Skyline Chili is not on your list of would never eat. I love Skyline Chili. Wow. That we finally found a difference. And also, yeah. the Indi- thing with Indian food is there's not a lot of good Indian food in the U.S. Yeah. From yeah, well, I wouldn't. I, I, you know, I'm not uh, sophisticated enough to distinguish between good and bad, but that curry, that curry taste just not appeal to my taste buds. That, the, the Skyline Chili one is great because when we used to – when we both didn't live in Cincinnati, we would frequently visit to, to do you know, work. And I would always taunt George with the, uh, the idea of going to Skyline. Uh, during during lunchtime, and, and it would it would basically make the hair you know on his head stand up. How, how difficult he, he thought of that uh, idea. My life depended on it. I wouldn't do it. Um, all right, next up, favorite book. Favorite book. That's a hard one. That's a lot of books I've read. Um, I would say the best and the brightest. Ooh. David Halberstam about the Vietnam War. Okay, that's a good one. I'm going to add that to my list. What about your favorite cocktail? Uh, I'm pretty simple here. Give me a good Coors Light. 
Oh, that was my guess. I had Coors Light as being what you were going to say, and I didn't have any insider information. That's a, that's great. Um, all right, cool. So we're going to get into the hard-hitting football questions. Uh, and we have a bunch. And uh, the first one, I think, is one that everyone wants to know. How many more uh, Pro Bowl, all-pro players do the Browns need to get on Sunday Night Football this year? I think the Browns are covered. Um, I, I do. I mean, I think, uh, you know, they almost had a winning record last year. Uh, they definitely have a young, exciting quarterback who seems like he's not in the mold of not saying anything. He pretty much says what he thinks. Uh, their defense was really improved. Obviously they picked up Odell. Uh, and, uh, I think Cleveland, you know, that hard knocks to me was one of the one or two or three most compelling hard knocks of all the hard knocks I've watched. The Jets won with Rex Ryan, the <laughs> first one with Ray Lewis and Tony Saragusa and Shannon Sharp and, you know, those crazy Ravens. Uh, I think those are the three that really stood out to me. And I think the Browns really kind of built a little bit of a national following because they had so many characters on that team. And then they, they kind of backed it up the second half of the season. Uh, so uh, I think, you know, there's a good chance the Browns, uh, you know, probably end up on a Sunday night this year. What do you, what do you think about them opening up the season? Uh, I don't think that's the NFL style. Um, I think, you know, the NFL likes to, re- you know, re- like likes to reward the teams, you know, that have had, you know, are, are coming off of really good seasons. Uh, and I, and I understand why people think the Brown Patriot matchup would be attractive, but personally for me, uh, I would say it's a little premature. Okay. So you, if you had to put your money on one, would you go then Patriots Chiefs? I really can't put my money on any of them. <laughs> uh, but all I would say is that it's going to be an attract. I mean, you look at the Patriot home schedule. You know, you've got eight choices there, and you know the the division games don't count. So now you're down to five choices. Right. And you know you can whittle it down from there. Who you know who the leading contenders would be. All right, I tried, did my best. Yeah, that's that's pretty. Uh, that was a valiant effort by you, George. Yeah, valiant. The, the the Browns, the odds-on favorite currently to win the AFC North. So another sort of reason why they'll probably yeah get a, a little bit more spotlight this year. Not putting any money on anything here. Yeah, um, I think I think, but I think people are like just counting the Steelers out of here like way too soon. I mean, I realize they lost two you know incredibly productive offensive players, but I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't write the Steelers off just yet. And I think, you know, Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger are going to have a couple of things to prove next year. Not to really set themselves per se, but uh, I, I'd be surprised if Pittsburgh uh, weren't really contending for that division next year. I think that's fair, yeah. especially considering, you know, Baltimore's probably going to take a step back. Uh, with a young quarterback and Cincinnati is where Cincinnati is right now. So it's pretty much a two-team race at that point. Uh, Pittsburgh's pedigree will, I think, carry. You never know. Um, Okay, so you're the producer of Sunday Night Football, and I feel like most people have sort of no clue what that actually means, and they just go, oh, that's really cool. I'd love to do that someday. And, you know, and they never quite understand what goes into it. So what would be, what would you say is the coolest part of the job and uh, does it make up for the fact that you work 20 hours a day, seven days a week? Uh, the coolest part of my job is getting to, you know, meet the players and the coaches and have, you know, football discussions that sometimes evolve into pop culture discussions that sometimes evolve into uh, life discussions and, you know, watching practices and, you know, really kind of being able to observe what makes great players great, what makes great coaches great. And it's really like an extended classroom that I've been fortunate enough to be in for the last, this will be my 30th season, you know, producing a primetime NFL game coming up. So to me, that's the coolest part of the job other than the three hours on Sunday night that you're on the year, because that's an adrenaline fix that, I probably could only get if I were playing the game. So for me, you know, someone who didn't necessarily grow up a television fan, but grew up a huge sports fan, you know, this is the way I was able to come close 
to fulfilling a dream of you know being a professional player. So how long, Fred, does it take after a Sunday night game to get you talk about the adrenaline high? How long does it take to get off that? And like, are do, you, do does it take until you know middle of Monday morning to fall asleep, or what? What kind? What does that end up looking like? Uh, well, it takes a couple of Coors Lights and <laughs> about four hours. Uh, because I, I usually, um, I don't really sleep great the night after the game. Yeah. You're replaying, uh, a lot of things in your head, decisions you made, uh, wondering if something was as good as you thought it was or not as good as you thought it was. Uh, you definitely are replaying your mistakes a million times. So, uh, I, I normally don't sleep well, you know, when, after the game. Would you say that? maybe the function that you you are more like the head coach of Sunday night football and that that might be the most apt way to describe what you do because it seems like you've got all the qualifications except that maybe you're coaching both sides of the ball uh no I mean that's how I would describe it because and I always say you know you know take Alan Chris out of it for a second obviously they're the they're the two most important parts of the show but like Drew Esikoff, who's our director, like I, when people ask us, you know, what do we do? I say, you know, I'm basically the coach. He's the quarterback. You know, I've got a bunch of assistants. We develop a game plan for the week. Uh, we try to execute that plan in the confines of what's happening on the field. I'm making a decision, you know, every 10 or 15 seconds. Drew's the guy that's basically executing it every second that we're on the air. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the best way, I think, to give, especially a football fan, an idea of what the producer does. That would make Al, Chris, and Michelle cheerleaders, right? <laughs> no, Al and Chris uh, are definitely the two most important you know, uh, factors or the two most important elements because it doesn't really matter you know, how good the production team is. If the announcers aren't very good, the audience is not going to get it. Whereas if you have great announcers and a subpar production team, it may not be everything that it could be, but at least the announcers are carrying the show. So I've, I've always said this. I mean, I, I recognize this, you know, probably before I got into television, the announcers are really what people uh, judge their, you know, viewing experience by not the production. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, is there a moment that you look back on as you look at your career and as as a big break? And then, if so, like how does that influence the way that you go about your business now? Uh, well, I mean, when I was at ESPN, and that's where my career started, uh, I was producing a Saturday night primetime college football game, which until we had gotten the NFL was the biggest game ESPN had. So that was in 1988 and 89. And then in 1989, we secured the rights to Major League Baseball. And we were going to have Sunday Night Baseball. And I was now going to be the lead producer of baseball, which truly is my favorite sport. So I was very excited about that. It definitely married up with, you know, my my, my number one passion in sports. Uh, and then uh, the person who was producing uh, – Sunday Night Football for ESPN at that point got promoted to become the executive producer of the event department, which is the department I was in. And uh, he called me in and he said, listen, um, I know, you know, you were going to be doing baseball and I already done a bunch of surveys and we were getting things rolling. He said, but I'm being bumped up and I want you to do uh, Sunday Night Football. And uh, I was like, yeah, but, you know, baseball is my favorite sport. I really don't want to come off it. And he's like, well, we really need you to do this because you're our best football producer and we have to have our best producer on this game. It's the most important thing for ESPN. I was like, yeah, but, you know, I really love baseball. You know, and then he finally said, yeah, well, this is not really a request. So uh, <laughs> you can do this or you can look for a job somewhere else, but we'd really like you to do Sunday Night Football. So, you know, if he would have acceded to my wishes – things would have turned out a lot differently. And I just think about this. I mean, anybody who gets to my position, uh, I mean, obviously it, it requires a lot of hard work. There's no question about that. But it also requires a lot of lucky breaks going your way to get to that point and then to keep the job. Obviously, you have to work hard. But again, there has to be a lot of lucky breaks, you know, that go your way. I mean, I look at when I was at Monday night and – 
uh, Disney decided to uh, put Monday night on ESPN. And at that point, it was Drew, myself, Al Michaels, and John Madden. And we just assumed we'd go to ESPN and do it. And then ESPN said, well, no, we don't really want you guys. Uh, which, you know, was kind of head scratching, if not a little devastating at the time. But it turned out to be the luckiest break you could get because we all went to NBC. Mm-hmm. We ended up working on a show that set the all-time record for most years as the number one rated uh, primetime show. And, you know, just a tremendous amount of success. I've done four of the most unbelievable Super Bowls at NBC. So that is the second real lucky break that I ever got. Did you did you want to be a producer? Like, at what point did you say, oh, I want to produce football games where did you sort of start off with your aim being well you know my my goal and it's funny because it it was drew's goal too you know we grew up in the tri-state i grew up in new york drew up in jersey we both grew up within 15 miles of manhattan and uh we we wanted to be marv albert i mean that's i wanted to i wanted to call nick games and ranger games and yankee games and do the six o'clock news you know the sports on the six o'clock news and you know marv was really uh the professional that I really wanted to be. And I went to college on Long Island and uh, I called all the football, basketball and baseball games when I was in college. And that was great. But I just never really, you know, as I was studying myself and listening to the tapes and all of that, I just realized I didn't have a voice that sounded like Al Michaels or, you know, at the time, a guy like Dick Emberg or Pat Summerall or Marv Albert for that matter. And I just felt like, you know what? this might be a really tough road for me. And then my last year of college, I took an internship at a uh, independent station in New York city that had a show uh, on Sunday nights. That was really the forebearer to sports center. It was Sunday night at 10 o'clock, 30 minutes wrap up of the week in sports in New York. So, you know, Yankees, Mets, Jets, Giants, Cosmos, whomever, Knicks, Rangers, Nets, you know, so I worked on that show and I worked for the producer and um, it wasn't like a get get some coffee internship. It was like, hey, you're cutting highlights, you're screening games, you know, you're coming up with ideas for features. And I did that and I was like, you know what, this really might be a better path for me because my voice obviously is not going to be a deterrent. Uh, I still get to use my sports knowledge. Uh, I really liked what I was doing, so I figured I could get the same kind of um, intrinsic reward out of it. And that's where I didn't give it up right there, but as soon as I got to, my, my my season or my, uh, my internship ended in May, I graduated in May, and then I started at ESPN like August 24th, I think, or 22nd, something like that. And um, uh, at that point, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to try to be a producer, but I wanted to produce games. I didn't want to produce Sports Center. I didn't want to produce studio shows. I wanted to make sure I was doing games. So maybe the Netflix show that you pitch finally has you delivering <laughs> delivering the news. That could be it. We tie it all together. That's awesome. Um, so you are a Giants fan, and we have to talk a little bit about some of the players that have been involved with the Giants may or may not be with the Giants anymore. One of them is Odell Beckham Jr. You obviously were the person in charge of showing the replay for the catch that put him on the map. I'm assuming that you've spent time with Odell in, in game you know, prep meetings and stuff like that. He has gotten a real interesting rap depending on you know where you kind of get your news from. What, OBJ to you, what, what type of person is he? What sort of a guy are the, are the Browns getting? Well, here's what I would just say first, because this is something I've given a lot of thought about over the last year about many different people. Uh, There are many different things that can be true about the same person, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I don't think uh, you could be the most generous and kind person in the world and find yourself caught up in illegal, you know, uh, entrapment. You could be, you know, the smartest person. Uh, you could have tremendous judgment, yet make a befuddling decision, you know, that 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 puts your, you know, self in jeopardy. So there are many things, you know, there are many things about us, and all of which can be true. My um, 
dealings with Odell. And we met with him before that game that he made that catch. Uh, was that he was a very humble and gracious person. Um, and then we also met with him after a game where I think he kicked the net or kissed the net and was getting, you know, destroyed, you know, in the New York papers. And he, you know, he came into the meeting, which he did not have to do. He answered all the questions, you know, looking you right in the eye, not trying to make excuses. Uh, he appeared in the Kerry Underwood opening a couple of years where he had to come out to L.A. for a few hours and, you know, really perform. And he could not have been a, you know, more willing participant and fun. Uh, I know when we've interviewed him, you know, he introduces himself to everybody in the room, the camera person, the uh, the audio person, the assistant technicians. So, you know, I mean, he really conducts himself, you know, like a gentleman now. Can you why would a guy who's that aware of, um, you know, presenting that kind of image and it did not come off as fake? It came off as genuine. Why would a guy like that score a touchdown and lift his leg over the pylon like a dog, you know, <laughs> urinating? Like, how does how do those two how do those things go together? When you got to go, you um, got to go. Well, <laughs> you know, or, you know, how do you why do you sit down for an interview with little Wayne? I mean, like, wh- like, why? Like, what? Like, what are you doing? So, you know, I think he's a complex guy. Um, he's definitely someone who has a problem controlling his emotions on the field. You know, going back to the, you know, you go back to that Josh Norman game. Mm-hmm. The first series of that game, Eli Manning hit him in stride on a 70-yard bomb. He had beaten Josh Norman by 20, you know, by 20 yards. And he dropped the ball. He dropped a short touchdown. It was, and it was a perfect throw. Well, he was expecting it to be underthrown. So, <laughs> so I mean, but I think that kind of set him off for the rest yeah. of the game. And then, you know, the rest is history. So there are many sides to Odell. I personally like him. Uh, but I think, you know, the Giants probably grew tired of some of the things I just brought up and didn't see it getting better. Now, can it be different in Cleveland? You know, his best buddies there. Is Freddie Kitchens going to have, you know, the magic touch in terms of, you know, how to deal with him? I mean, as much as I admire and like Tom Coughlin, in some ways he enabled it. You know, I mean, they didn't they didn't nip it in the bud Mm -hmm. when they could have nipped it in the bud. And then it just grew out of control as his persona grew out of control. But there's no denying he is a top five player in the National Football League, in my opinion. I mean, Chris and I have had this discussion with the ball in his hands, he, he might be as exciting a player as there is in the league. Well, we, we've seen him elevate Eli Manning even in like 2016 that, you know, Eli was one of our worst graded quarterbacks and they still made the playoffs based. I, I remember him catching a slant against Baltimore and running for the extra 70 yards, you know, for the game winning touchdown. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of his issues were with the quarterback. Do you think the Giants would have been pushed to trade OBJ if they had picked Arnold at number two last year because a lot of OBJ's sort of criticism of the franchise was that they were continuing to stick with Eli Manning. Do you think that that's still? Do you think the outcome is still the same if Darnold is the quarterback right now of the New York Giants? It's a good question. I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd just be speculating, but you know, it's um, it's hard to tell. I mean, look. They were clearly um, they were clearly taking offers on him. Uh, they may not have been soliciting them, although they did call Buffalo, you know, after the Antonio Brown deal uh, fell through. Um, it's a good question. Um, I don't know, but I do know. Uh, I was watching a game last year, and Sterling Shepard, like you know, on the bench, who was really pretty much a quiet guy, and you never heard boo from. You know, started you know kicking his helmet and slamming it into the bench, and he's sitting right next to Odell, and you're like, "Where's this coming from?" You know, so you don't know. I mean, obviously, everybody to a person says hard worker, hardest working guy in practice, just wants to win, and I believe that. I believe all those things are true, but sometimes there's a switch that gets flipped where he does things that aren't congruent with what we just talked about. Yeah, I. I always think that it's like the situation and the culture of the franchise has so much to do with it. And so often that's dictated by winning. And so, you know, you see a guy like 
you know, acting this way on the Giants, that the Patriots may get a guy like that, maybe even worse, and all of a sudden he's a he's a church boy because they've established that culture. So it'd be it'd be really interesting to see how that culture forms in Cleveland, um, for sure. Yeah, Let's, I mean, I think you know the wild card is the head coach, right? right? I mean, he's never been a head coach on any level. He obviously, you know, uh, was a big part of that resurgence in the second half of the season, but he wasn't the head coach, right. so he's going to have to be dealing with things now that he's never dealt with before. And yeah, you've seen other people deal with it. So you have an idea with it, what it is, but until your time is getting compromised to the extent that his time is going to be compromised and he's not going to be able to do the thing he truly loves, which is I'm sure breaking down tape and come up with an ideas on how to attack a defense and putting his quarterback in the, in, in the best possible position. When he sees how much of that time is going to be compromised by his other duties as the head coach, you know, how's he going to handle it? I mean, well, obviously the Browns think he can or they wouldn't have made him the head coach, but it's an open question until he has to do it. I mean, he is a – he falls lower on the totem pole in terms of the names that people think of with the Browns yep. than Odell and then Baker. So he's going to have to obviously step up. Um, let's stay with the Giants, though, for a second. Real quick, I assume at some point, maybe 2035, they're going to get a new quarterback. If you had to take one in this draft, you, not the Giants, who would you take? You know, uh, I guess I would take Kyler Murray. Um, That's the right answer. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, when you look at his tape and you look at the offense that he ran and you've just seen another quarterback and with a little bit of a similar stature as Kyler's, you know, make that jump from the Oklahoma offense to the NFL and have great success. Um, you know, I think it would be Kyler Murray. Now, I mean, I haven't studied Haskins. I've not studied Locke. I'm not studied Kyler Murray for that, for that matter. And obviously a lot of people, and I know you guys are going to be, if you haven't already, and I'm sure you have extensively studying these people. Um, but I mean, the one thing I've observed, you know, producing NFL games is that if the quarterback isn't highly accurate, he's probably not going to be a great player. It's well said. So it's like the number one it's the number one thing you have to be. So if there are going to be accuracy questions about a player, he probably shouldn't be a first round pick. Um, and I don't know that there's accuracy questions around Haskins or Locke or some of the other guys that we're talking about. But surely Kyler Murray looked like he was highly accurate, Fred, as did Baker. Mayfield. Fred, you're hired. Yep. Okay, that was you, that you was made, as, you, uh, that was the interview question. That was the synthesis of everything that we've been saying. Um, all right, last uh, sort of football e question for you because you were a part of the '83 draft where six quarterbacks were taken: Elway, obviously at one, uh, Marino f- falling in the draft. That was we. Eric and I actually just rewatched the documentary to kind of remind ourselves of all of the drama. Probably couldn't have had a more dramatic draft. And you were on there talking about the the New York Post being you know the place that broke the news about Elway wanting to stay with uh, baseball instead of going to football. Do you think the way that the the natural drama that was in that draft has sort of caused the over dramatization of the draft process, even when there aren't you know, really stories that are that dramatic? Well, I think, I think the draft itself and where the draft has, uh, elevated itself on the national sports map, uh, is probably as big a reason. And there's no bigger position in the NFL than quarterback, because without one, you're probably not going to get to the Super Bowl, let alone win it. So, I mean, look, the 83 draft, uh, I think that was the fourth draft ESPN ever covered. Actually, the third draft. They did 81, 82, 83. So that was the third draft they ever covered. And there was a lot of hype. And there was a lot of hype around Elway for a couple of reasons. One, he was in the Yankee farm system and the draft was in New York. <laughs> Two, it, it appeared like he had options that if he didn't want to play for the Baltimore Colts, he could play baseball and probably be a pretty good baseball player. The Jets, everybody knew the Jets were going to take a quarterback. Um, So there was – and then you had Dan Marino who was like unbelievable as a freshman, a sophomore, and a junior and then had a bad final season. Uh, And uh, it all kind of 
you know, it all kind of uh, got boiled into this stew uh, that made for that, you know, made for a real excitement around that. Now, you know, what ESPN did for the draft is it's it's historic. I mean, it took a activity that was basically a ball, you know, a boardroom meeting, you know, with probably back in those days, you know, before there were 28 teams or probably 16 teams, you know, and, and you know, guys would be picking players out of a magazine, you know, because they didn't they didn't have scouting and all that stuff. But they took that meeting and then they elevated it into this big TV production. And now it's like you cannot miss the NFL draft. And I think, you know, the way football has evolved, especially in the last five years the quarterback is everything you must have the quarterback you do not have a chance if you don't have the quarterback and that's why there's all this hysteria leading up to the draft it was such like an interesting inflection point in the league's history right because you also had the usfl and jim kelly had that that option at that time and you know you had you know you had issues with all the super bowls being blowouts and and it was really that draft right that you know you had El, elway marino even ken o'brien was a compelling player for the jets you know kelly and then all the other players daryl green eric dickerson like that was just a draft that like i think elevated the league to you know starting you know, right? They were they were coming off of a, a a player strike, all that kind of stuff. Elevated the league to a to heights where we're sort of seeing it now. I think. And well, yeah. Now we hit the AAF, which is doing the same thing. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know what happened at that point too. At that point, we had had about a like a ten year run where the AFC was like dominant yep. because you had the Dolphins, the Steelers, the Raiders. You know, the, those three teams. You know, always seemed to be battling it out. You know, to get to the Super Bowl, and they were winning Super Bowls. They were winning, you know, they were winning multiple Super Bowls. And as we got to that part of the '80s, you know, Montana had already won a Super Bowl, and then here came the NFC run with the Bears, with the Niners, with the Giants. Uh, the the Cowboys were kind of, yeah, the Redskins, right? Exactly. So, and, and you know, so now, like, so, so think about the markets we just said: Chicago, yeah. New York, Washington D.C. San Francisco. So all of a sudden, those big market teams became, you know, perennial contenders for Super Bowls. And not only that, you know, waged unbelievable games against each other. Uh, and, it, and it and it all kind of it, it all kind of you know it all kind of coalesced right there. I think it might we might look back on last year's draft maybe similarly if a couple of those quarterbacks turn out right. The Jets all of a sudden. Yeah, but look, hey, I I did the 99 draft where we had, I think, five quarterbacks and, you know, Couch and McNabb and Culpepper and, you know, I mean, Culpepper had a couple of, you know, really great NFL seasons. I mean, you know, tremendous NFL seasons, you know, and Tim Couch, unfortunately, got thrown to the wolves and really got, I mean, Bruce Arians, every time we, you know, we meet with Bruce Arians and and Tim Couch comes up because Bruce was the offensive coordinator the first Mm -hmm. year in Cleveland, you know, he will... You know, he will say, hey, you know, if Tim Couch would have had, you know, better protection and have not been so physically beaten down, Tim Couch would have been a hell of a quarterback in the NFL. He swears to it. And then you had Achilles Smith and you had Cade, you know, McNown uh, or McCown. And uh, and, uh, you know, so you just never know. You really don't ever know how it's going to pan out. And even that 83 class. Yeah, you had three Hall of Famers, and then you had, you know, Ken O'Brien was pretty good, and Tony Eason kind of, you know, petered out pretty quickly, and so did Todd Blackledge. Yep. Yeah, situation matters a lot. Um, all right, we've got a couple quick hitters to get you out of here on. Uh, one thing that you have helped Chris with uh, since he took over uh, next to Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football, and one thing that you have learned from him. You know, I think I'd say the biggest thing that I've tried to help Chris with, I mean, he really sees the field um, like, you know, few analysts or maybe no analysts. I mean, Madden saw the field, too. But Chris really sees the field and he sees well beyond the ball, meaning he can tell you why something happened pretty quickly. So I think I've tried to help him just by providing the pictures that aren't maybe the obvious shots Mm -hmm. Uh, but ones that really um, highlight the commentary he's providing. So I think uh, I think hopefully that's where I've tried to help him the most. Where I think he's really kind of helped me is, 
you know, Chris has a interesting way of preparing. It's really in depth, uh, but it's different than any other person I ever worked with. And uh, he really kind of made me realize that uh, sometimes it's good to get out of the routine and, and try a different way because you can get better. Interesting. Cool. Um, what are your top three New York athletes uh, besides Joe Namath and Bobby Bonilla, of course? <laughs> well, I didn't grow up a Jet fan, so, but you're asking me for like New York athletes who kind of own the city? Yeah. Uh, well, I would say Lawrence Taylor, uh, would be oh, in that not list. A jet. <laughs> uh, Joe Namath is obviously in that list. And then, you know, I'd probably say Derek Jeter. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Jeter is an all time choice. Maybe like soon to be Zion Williamson. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, I, before I go to bed every night, I say a prayer that the Knicks get the first pick and get Zion Williamson. It's the only way out of this morass they've been in for 19 years legitimate question is there any is there an athlete that you would want to bring to new york more than zion williamson like say you could take baker mayfield and put him in a giants uniform uh no i mean look i love the knicks they've been my team you know since the 60s and uh i was fortunate when i was young they had a like an all-time team i the Nick championship teams of 69-70, are very similar to these Golden State Warrior teams, mm-hmm. except they don't have the athleticism yeah. that you know that players have in today's uh, in today's game. But they played a very similar brand of basketball. The ball moved; it always moved. There was no dribbling; it was all passing. They had seven guys that you know were legitimate starters. And they had probably three guys who could have got 30 a game if they wanted to, but, you know, were team players. And it was a real exciting brand of basketball. And I would say that team, of all the teams since I've been alive, really captured the New York fans, you know, more than any team, more than any Yankee team I remember, uh, more than any Giants or Jets team I remember, the Mets, whomever. Uh, So, no, I mean, I want the Knicks to be relevant again, and we need Zion Williamson. Yeah, I'm sold. Um, I was going to ask you about the 98 ESPYs <laughs> because I saw that you were uh, – did you actually produce those? Yeah, right? You I the, did. Yeah. And <laughs> I was curious just about those those ESPYs. So I Googled it and watched the Norm MacDonald monologue again. <laughs> yeah, 90- you're, bringing up, you're bringing up a uh, – you're bringing up a uh, interesting part of my career right there. That was the first time I ever did an entertainment show. Also in that show – was Will Ferrell doing a Harry Carey impersonation. <laughs> That's but right. Holy cow. Not, not Harry, drunk Harry. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I learned something there that just because you've told somebody it's no longer in the script, <laughs> once you hand someone an open mic, uh, you are no, you, you have relinquished all power. I so, mean. uh, yeah, I mean, that whole thing about, you know, the Charles Woodson joke, <laughs> hey, congratulations, you're a Heisman winner. That's something no one can ever take from you, unless you kill your waiter and a unless you kill your wife and a waiter. You know, what I mean, I was like, oh my god. That that was. Uh, like, you look back at that now, and you're like, I wish I wish I hadn't let that go. He had an Anthony Mason joke that was amazing, a Jerry Jones joke, a, an East German Olympics joke. I mean, it was. If, yeah. If you put this yeah. on today, you would have had people throwing their TVs out of windows. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was also a John Elway joke that wasn't very uh, flattering or, you know, yeah, it was uh, it was rough. It was rough. Oh, my goodness. And I also learned a lesson there, too, is that uh, pro athletes probably have the least sense of humor about themselves of any group of people on Earth. Yep, that sounds about right. Um, OK, last thing here. I we want to help you with uh, next year's, you know, Sunday night um broadcast so we had an idea we've done a lot of brainstorming here we know al and chris are great in the booth michelle's fantastic when you know when she does her her pieces but what if just spitballing here you added a third voice perhaps uh someone that could spontaneously come in uh live perhaps perched on a movable cart along the sideline uh, really innovative idea george and I'm thinking Stephen A. Smith, we call him the Sunday Night Stalker. I, just just an idea. You can take it if you want. Um, but I think it would add to the excitement of the show. 
I'm going to give that a lot of consideration. <laughs> Get, run it okay, by, just consider it. No. <laughs> run it by Drew. <laughs> run it by Drew. See what he has to say. Maybe maybe it'll grow on you. Fred, this was awesome. We really appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have you here to Cincinnati. We'll get some uh, Skyline Chili for you, and we can uh, talk again before the season starts. Eric and George, always my pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks, Freddie. Thank See you. Ya. All right. Take, take care, care, man. All righty. Special thanks to Fred Gadelli. That was awesome. He was very generous. Took double the amount of time um, that we wanted, but it was a great conversation, and um, hopefully we'll be able to convince him to come back on once we already know the team, that, uh, the teams that are going to be playing week one, so he can um, he can talk more about those. Eric, you look amazing. Thanks, George. Really appreciate the uh, the effort there. You didn't even have a white snake pun this entire. Yeah, I mean, you brought a lunch today, so uh, for lunch, I'm going to go again on my own. We'll see you guys next week. Peace out. Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get Uniquely Yours Ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details.